Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Let's turn again in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. You lost the beat, I lost my voice. <laughs> Wasn't clapping for that. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> so you pray for me, if you will, please. In Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making request for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. This is the word of God, and we pray his blessing upon the study of his word together. When you think of Christian fellowship or church fellowship, is your understanding driven by what you think it should be or by what it's supposed to be. The Apostle Paul speaks in this text of the fellowship that he enjoyed in the Philippian church, the fellowship of the gospel that he enjoyed in the Philippian church. And this is another one of those principles that I believe when we engage in it correctly, then our joy in Christ Jesus will be compounded. It will be enhanced. It will flourish. And yet, in many instances, one of the main problems that people have in any church is the fellowship. The fellowship. And so I ask, when you think of Christian fellowship, or when you think of church fellowship, is your understanding driven by what you think it should be? Or is it driven by what it is supposed to be? How many times? How many times do people drop out or leave the church because of 
the fellowship. They didn't like the preaching or the teaching style. The people were cliquish or cold and unfriendly or maybe they were too friendly. The music wasn't to their taste or the beat. <laughs> they didn't agree with the politics of the church. They didn't like how the finances were being handled. And so they take up their marbles and they go someplace else. The story is told of a man who survived the sinking of a cruise liner in the South Pacific. Somehow he made his way to a deserted island. He was a religious man and so every day he prayed that someone would rescue him. In time, he built a comfortable hut to live in. He dug a cistern to collect and to store fresh water from the rain. He built a lookout tower in the highest coconut palm tree that he could find so he could scan the horizon for passing ships. He made a large pen in shallow water to keep fish and crab and other creatures alive for eating, and he even built a church to worship in. But he never saw another human being on the island. After several years, he finally saw a ship from his lookout passing by. He built a bonfire from wood and from dried leaves and coconut shells that he had saved. A rescue boat soon docked on the island. And after meeting the man, the rescue team wanted to know how he survived all of those years alone on that island. So he told them of the things that he had done to survive. He showed them all of the things that he had built. And the team marveled at his ingenuity. And he showed them the church that he built for worship. And he said with pride, that's my new church. I built it two years ago, and it's just the kind of church I've always wanted. Someone noticed a hut located away from the compound. And when asked what that hut was, the man replied with disdain, that's my former church. After a while, I didn't like the fellowship over there. <laughs> now you may or may not find that story humorous, but tragically, it's all too true. With a lot of church-going people nowadays, Rather than learning what Christian fellowship is and practicing what Christian fellowship is, 
they move on to another church and then another church and then another church. And for the most part, it seems like modern-day Christians specialize in either church hopping or church shopping. The Apostle Paul rejoiced with a grateful heart when he remembered the Philippian church and their fellowship in the gospel. Now it's true, the Apostle Paul didn't stay in any church for more than a few years, but that was because his calling and his giftedness and his ministry in the Lord was to start churches through evangelism and through discipleship. His giftedness was not in the areas of pastoring or leading in worship or in education or in local ministries. His specialty was in winning people to faith in Jesus Christ, discipling them in Jesus Christ, and building a church out of those new converts. And he was grateful. And he rejoiced for the time that he spent doing that for a brief time there in the town of Philippi. And he was also grateful and he also rejoiced for the fellowship that continued on in that church long after he had left. What is Christian fellowship? And what is the church fellowship? What does it look like? How do you define it? In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, there are four things to which the Christians in Jerusalem were devoted to. Turn in your Bibles there. Uh, I know I took you to Philippians, but we're done with that now. We'll move on. Back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Four things that the new Christians, the first Christians, in the first Christian church in Jerusalem devoted themselves to. Look at it. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. Look at it. They continued steadfastly. That means they were committed to this. They were devoted to this. This was something that was very vital, very important to them. The four things, the apostles' doctrine, teaching and preaching the truth of God's word, fellowship, the breaking of bread, which is communion, and in prayer, fellowship. Christian fellowship was an important part of the lives of the Christians in Jerusalem. It was one of their main spiritual objectives. Notice, they didn't have fellowship. They didn't enjoy fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship. They made it their priority in life. Now, we talk about fellowship in the church. It's one of our values here at First Baptist. Most of us love the fellowship of the church. 
We say we need more of it, and I would agree with you. We need more of it. Some could care less about it, and that's very evident as well. But more often than not, our opinions with regard to fellowship in the church are subjective. They are subjective. They're not objective. We look at fellowship as what we think fellowship should be and not necessarily what the Bible says fellowship is. And I'm going to explore that with you this morning. Because I know there are a lot of people who don't have joy in Christian fellowship or in church fellowship. And I think it's because we, we don't really understand what it's supposed to be. Fellowship for most Christians is something we do in the fellowship hall from time to time. Right? I'm not saying that that's biblical. I'm just saying that's what most people think. And maybe that's what you think as well. Excuse me. Fellowship is something that we do in the fellowship hall from time to time. And that's why it's called the fellowship hall. Because what do we do over there? Come on. What do we do over there? We eat. That's what we do. We fellowship. That's right. We fellowship in the fellowship hall. While we're eating. In the fellowship hall. That's right. It's something that we do in the fellowship hall from time to time. Or we also do it in our classrooms, our Bible study classes. Before the Bible study actually starts. And so we've come to understand or we've come to accept the idea that fellowship is casual conversation over coffee and snacks or on special occasions around a full-blown meal. And that's pretty much the definition in a lot of minds, or at least in a lot of Baptist minds anyway. It's about eating. It's about talking over a meal. We also think of fellowship as social activities, such as getting together for game night or taking a run on our motorcycles, creating crafts together that we can sell in a craft fair sponsored by the church, or carpooling to outlets and to malls for a day of shopping, always my favorite. That's why the women don't ever invite me along. <laughs> we also think of fellowship as being uh, having people over to the house for a Super Bowl party or for a World Series party. And sometimes we'll invite people to the house to have a meal together or we'll go out to a restaurant, or we used to go out to the restaurants when they were open, uh, and have a meal together after church or some other time during the week. And so we've also included in our understanding of fellowship as social activities, doing fun things together, getting involved with each other um, in, in something that's out of the norm. Still others think of fellowship as getting together for sharing personal needs, for praying together, for discussing the Bible together to encourage each other when we're 
weak, to comfort one another when we are brokenhearted, when we're going through a painful time. We think of it as a time to lift one another up when we're feeling down, when things are not going according to Hoyle. But what does the Bible say about Christian fellowship? What does the Bible say about church fellowship? In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 5, the word fellowship in that context means that which is common or mutual among members of a group. That which is common or mutual among the members of a group. It means to share together. It means to participate with each other. It means to share with others. Now the ultimate goal in biblical fellowship, and it doesn't matter what denominational stripe you are. We're talking about the Bible now. We're not talking about Baptists as opposed to Catholics or Pentecostals or Mennonites or uh, Mormons or anyone else. We're talking about the biblical understanding of what Christian fellowship, what church fellowship really is. The ultimate goal in biblical fellowship is to build up and to enrich each other in the things of Christ so that each person in the group can experience the fullness of his life. It is to encourage and to build one another up so that each member of the group can experience the fullness of the Christ life, of his life. Now, in the New Testament particularly, but it's also in the Old Testament generally speaking, fellowship is expressed in four specific, four distinct ways. First of all, it's expressed in relationships. Second, it's expressed in companionship. Third, it's expressed in partnerships. And fourth, it's expressed in stewardship. Fellowship, biblical fellowship, is expressed in relationships, in companionship, in partnership, and in stewardship. In the New Testament, what is shared among Christians is first of all a common relationship because that's the definition of fellowship. It is what individuals in a group have in common. That's why you're in that group, is because you share something in common with the other members of that group. In the New Testament, what is shared among Christians is, first of all, a common relationship. A common relationship. And that common relationship is Jesus Christ. It is a relationship that each individual in that group has with Jesus Christ. Now, don't misunderstand. We're not talking about that everyone in that group who has a relationship with Jesus Christ is on the same level 
with everyone else in that group? No. But what we are saying is Christian fellowship is defined by a common relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. A common relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. We are who we are because of Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We have joined together in that particular place or this particular place to worship, to study, to pray, whatever activity we're going to engage in because of Jesus Christ. We meet in groups to counsel, to encourage, to uh, strengthen, to do whatever it is that we need to do so that we can grow spiritually in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And this, this is one thing, dear friends, that far too many modern Christians miss. Sometimes people will you know, come to a church, whatever church, and it may not necessarily, the music may not necessarily be to their liking and maybe the style of preaching and the style of teaching may not necessarily be what they're accustomed to. And, you know, maybe, maybe that church is a huggy church and the other church is a handshaking church and uh, another church is a what-are-you-doing-here church. And, you know, we may we may get all uptight about it or upset about it because it's not what we're used to, it's not what we're accustomed to, it's not what we think it ought to be. And so we withdraw. We don't, we don't allow ourselves the opportunity to build relationships with other Christians in that church. And when I was doing doctoral study many years ago, one of the truths that uh, was stated uh, according to research was that if an individual enters into a new church fellowship, if an individual comes to a new church and does not establish at least three meaningful relationships within six months, they're gone. And that's an important point to remember. Because fellowship is about relationships. And an individual who may be new to the church has a relationship with Jesus Christ, but because they don't establish other relationships with other Christians, after a while, they fade away. They go someplace else. Our primary relationship in Christian fellowship is with the Lord Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. Because of Jesus Christ, we establish relationships with other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. For a common purpose, and we'll get to those here in just a minute. Jesus is the common relationship that brings us together and binds us together as Christians and as a church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes, God is faithful. 
by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. That's the primary relationship. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. That's the secondary relationship. That you might have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. So both aspects of Christian fellowship and church fellowship are mentioned by the Apostle John. That you might have fellowship with us and that together we might have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I believe it goes without saying that true biblical fellowship in a church or in a Christian group becomes distant, it becomes estranged, it becomes weird, it becomes odd if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there are people who will come to a church that preaches the gospel and that preaches sin and preaches repentance and preaches the kingdom of God and preaches, you know, the various things that we ought to be about and non-Christian people feel very uncomfortable about that. Well, it's because they haven't established the primary relationship that draws them into or makes them a part of the Christian church fellowship. You cannot have... Christian fellowship with non-Christian people. You can have social relationships. You can engage in all kinds of activities. You can do all kinds of things. But you cannot have a genuine spiritual relationship with Christian people if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That relationship is the primary one that brings us together. And the relationships that we build with each other is what keeps us together. And that is what biblical fellowship is all about. But, listen, there is a negative side to this. There is a negative side to this idea of fellowship. And I want you to hear me, please. I want you to listen. In our relationship with Jesus Christ, there can be no legitimate fellowship with Him and the world. There can be no legitimate fellowship with Him and with the world, with the things of the world, with the flesh, and with the devil. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, Do not become partners with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? And what agreement does Christ have with Belial, that is, Satan? Or what does a believer share in common with a non-believer? And what mutual agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will live in them and I will walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, 
says the Lord. You can't have, listen, you can't have one hand in glory and one foot in the world. It doesn't work. You cannot have genuine fellowship with Jesus Christ and have genuine fellowship with the world at the same time. Second, fellowship is also about companionship. It's about togetherness. Christians in the New Testament formed groups called churches because they wanted to be together. They wanted to share their common life and relationship with Jesus Christ and with each other. Christians and I challenge you to search the scripture, Christians rarely, if ever, isolated themselves from each other. Rarely, if ever, did Christians in the New Testament isolate themselves from each other. They wanted to remain in fellowship with the Lord through the Holy Spirit, and they wanted to stay in fellowship with each other. Now, this idea of fellowship as companionship or togetherness has different levels to it. And I want to share just briefly those levels. First of all, you see it in the corporate church. You see it in the church body, what the scriptures call, what Paul calls the body of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, let us consider one another in our Order, excuse me, let us concern one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. The apostle encouraged the Christians. Now, the book of Hebrews was written uh, later on than, um, much later on than Christ's crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. And the Christian churches were being established by the apostle Paul. And I believe the apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. And I know there are a lot of people who don't believe that Paul wrote Hebrews, but they have the right to be wrong. And he is exhorting this church whatever church it is that he's writing to because they're not really identified by name, but he's exhorting this church to stay together and to not let anything keep them from the common relationship that they have in Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We've already read it. We'll look at it again. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's worship and Bible study and in fellowship, which is ministering together. And in breaking of bread, that is the communion, the Lord's Supper, and in prayers. That's talking to the Lord with each other and for each other. So there's the corporate meeting together, the assembly, as the apostle puts it. But there's also small groups. There are also uh, smaller groups that people met in. Uh, By the way, and I'm sure you know this, but... Christianity in the first century, maybe century and a half, didn't have buildings like we have to meet in. They met in homes. And by the time of the great persecution, uh, the great famine that broke out, that Paul talks about uh, to the Corinthians and to the Philippians, 
there were about 25,000 Christians in Jerusalem. And they all met in homes. So they were really big on small groups. They were really big on meeting together in each other's homes or down by the riverside or out in a field someplace or wherever they could get together, they met together in these small groups. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2, and the things that you have heard from me, this is the apostle Paul instructing the young pastor Timothy, the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit to those Commit those to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And this is what's done in small groups. We can't very well do that in a worship service because y'all have too many questions and I have too few answers. But in small groups, there is this intimate fellowship that is, that is carried on where we can talk to each other and we can ask those questions and we can examine the scriptures together to find those answers to those questions. But small groups are also about worship. Small groups are about discipleship. Small groups are about leadership training. Small groups are about prayer. Small groups are about a number of different things in a more comfortable, more intimate atmosphere. There was also one-on-one fellowship, one-on-one discipleship, where uh, um, a more mature Christian takes a younger Christian aside and works with that younger Christian to develop to uh, the spiritual life and to help that person grow in faith in Jesus Christ. These one-on-one mentoring sessions can also include counseling when there are difficult issues that they're facing and they don't know how to deal with those difficult issues. It also includes personal encouragement. When you hear that someone has lost a loved one, when you hear that someone has lost a job, when you hear that someone has a, a bad medical report, Oftentimes, one-on-one ministry can be conducted. Fellowship, where you go by and you encourage and you help to strengthen and lift the individual up. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, comfort, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are doing so. There are times when we need to come alongside a brother or a sister And we need to put an arm around them if that's acceptable. And we need to let them know that we understand. And that God understands. Even if I may not understand, God understands. Certainly Jesus Christ understands. Certainly the Holy Spirit understands. And we can lean heavily upon their strong and mighty arm in times of distress, in times of discouragement, in times of painful experiences. In all of these gatherings, whether it's corporate, small group, or one-on-one, in all of these gatherings, Christians seek to build one another up in the faith by sharing in worship, in communion, in singing of hymns, and psalms, and spiritual songs, and prayer, and the study of God's Word. They met together. These New Testament Christians, they met together in meeting needs 
in bearing one another's burdens, in addressing concerns and resolving issues and sharing in the joys and in the blessings of the Lord, in encouraging one another, comforting one another, challenging one another and exhorting one another to lift up their eyes and their heart and their mind and their spirit to praise the Lord God to pray with each other and to extend physical help where physical help is needed. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12, 13, and 14, the apostle writes, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily, all the time. Exhort one another continuously while it is today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we've become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. What is he saying here? He's saying that any day that you live, any time that you live in is a dangerous time for the Christian. There are too many things out in our world that tantalize us. Too many things out in our world that call to us. Too many things out in our world that would draw us away from Christ. And so Christians and Christian churches need the fellowship so that we can stay in our relationship to Jesus Christ and we can stay in that fellowship with each other because that's how we're encouraged. That's how we're strengthened. That's how we grow in our faith. That's how we are warned about the deceitfulness of the things of the world. Third, fellowship is partnership. Fellowship is partnership. It's relationship it's companionship and togetherness, but it's also partnership. What's the difference between companionship and partnership? Glad you asked. I'm going to explain it to you. We have a common relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we have a common relationship with each other as companions in the kingdom of God, uh, our togetherness as members of the body of Christ. But there is also a partnership dynamic that takes place in any genuine Christian fellowship. And partnership means to team up with other individuals for the express purpose of ministry. Teaming up with other individuals for the expressed purpose of ministry. You know, I've I've read through the Bible once or twice. I've taken note of the spiritual gifts that are found in the book of Ephesians, the back book of Romans, the book of 1 Corinthians, and other places. And I've, I've even taught seminary classes on spiritual giftedness and so on and so forth. I've never found anywhere in Scripture the spiritual gift of pew warming. Or pew sitting. What I do find in Scripture, those who have an exciting relationship to Jesus Christ will also find great joy in teaming up with other Christians to do ministry. Yes, 
to get involved in kingdom work. Partnership. Fellowship is also about partnering with other people to do ministry. Fellowship is a relationship with Jesus Christ and it is a relationship with other Christians. And as I stated, it's also teaming up with other Christians to serve and to minister the kingdom of Jesus Christ to those all around us, in the church as well as outside the church, in the community, in the state, in the nation, and around the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 22 to 24. The Apostle Paul says, And we have sent with them our brother Tychicus, or our brother, and he doesn't mention Tychicus, but uh, later on in the letter he mentions Tychicus. So I assume, and that's a dangerous thing to do, but I assume he's talking about Tychicus here. Whom we have often proved diligent in many ways, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker my partner and my fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches to the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of your boasting on your behalf. Now, this is all what Paul is talking about here. This is all about receiving uh, financial resources from the churches in Macedonia and taking those financial resources to the the suffering Christians in Jerusalem, many hundreds and hundreds of miles away. And Paul is saying that he has partnered with the churches in Macedonia to raise those monies, and he has partnered with Tychicus, and he's also partnered with Titus, and a couple of other guys, to take that money and to bring it to the suffering Christians in Jerusalem. Partnership. Partnership. Teaming up with other Christians to do the work of the kingdom. This partnership with the churches and with individual Christians was the result of their partnership with Jesus Christ. Paul's relationship to Jesus Christ. The relationship of the Macedonian churches with Jesus Christ. The relationship that Tychicus had and Titus had with Jesus Christ. They were all in it together. And they were all partnering together to send what resources they could to the suffering Christians in Jerusalem who also had a relationship with Jesus Christ. But if you know your New Testament, especially the book of Acts, you realize that Paul partnered with practically everybody. At first, he partnered with Barnabas, and then, of course, later on with Silas in evangelizing and discipling Christians in the faith, starting new churches. And then on his second missionary journey with Silas, they went to some of those churches that were started to encourage the saints, see how they were doing, what's happening, what's going on, and to help straighten out some problems and help them to see some greater avenues of ministry. And then moving on, starting new churches, right here in Philippi uh, was a church that uh, Paul started, one of the first Christian churches, if not the first Christian church in Europe, was started by the Apostle Paul. 
bringing Timothy along the way. And of course, Dr. Luke was there chronicling, writing all this stuff down. And now we have the book of Acts so we can see exactly what was going on and how the Holy Spirit used people to engage in fellowship, to engage in personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to engage in personal relationships with fellow Christians, to engage in teamwork with other Christians to carry on the work of the ministry of the kingdom of God. New Testament fellowship is experiencing and developing our personal relationship with Jesus Christ and our relationship with fellow Christians and helping them to develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we learn from each other. Iron sharpens iron. I have experiences with the Lord that you haven't had. And you've had experiences with the Lord that I haven't had. And I may understand certain things about this passage of Scripture, and you may have certain things that you understand about that passage of Scripture, and how are we going to have a more full and more complete understanding of the kingdom of Christ unless we share those things together? That's what fellowship is all about. It's about being together and learning from each other who Jesus is in my life, and in your life, and in kingdom life, and who Jesus wants to be to a lost and dying world. That's what fellowship is about. Finally, biblical fellowship is expressed in personal and corporate stewardship. Personal and corporate stewardship. Now, several times in likened the Christian to a steward, to a steward. And a steward is someone who manages someone else's property. And Christians, we need to understand that. A steward, and that's what Jesus calls us, a steward is someone who manages someone else's property. You're a steward, I'm a steward. Christians are stewards recognizing that all they have belongs to the Lord. Even the Harley? Yes, even the Harley. All that we have belongs to the Lord. And these things have been given to us to invest in others as the Holy Spirit leads us. Everything that you have, every dime that you own, every car in your garage... Every item of clothing that you have in your closet, everything that you have is not yours. It belongs to the Lord who gave those things to you, who gave you the ability to acquire those things. And as stewards, it should be our desire to invest those things in the lives of other people as the Holy Spirit leads us to do so. Throughout the New Testament, Christians and Christian churches were the primary means through which the needs of other people were met. In Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35, now the multitude of those who believed, we're speaking about Christians here, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. In other words, they were all on the same page in this matter of fellowship. 
They all had a personal relationship with Christ. They all had personal relationships with each other. They loved each other. They were together with each other. They were ministering to each other. And they were pulling together as teams with each other to carry on the work of the kingdom of God. The multitude of those who were of one heart and one soul, neither did anyone say that any of the things that he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there among any of them who lacked. For all who had were were possessors of lands or houses, sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. That was the first Christian church. Stewardship. They loved the Lord. They loved being together. They loved teaming up to work in the kingdom of God. And they loved sharing what they had with those who were in need. But did you notice here in the passage of Scripture... Not only were they sharing lands and houses and flocks and herds and clothes and food, they were sharing the Lord Jesus Christ as they were sharing with others. Stewardship is not just about what the Lord has blessed us with. It's also about the Lord himself. Sharing the Lord with those whom we minister to. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction and abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in, rich, in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift of the fellowship of ministering to the saints. Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, those suffering saints down in Jerusalem, their needs were being met by those poor Christians in Macedonia. Those Christians up there didn't have a whole lot. They may not have even had a bucket to hold their water in. But they sacrificed and they gave of their resources so that they could help relieve the suffering of the saints down in Jerusalem. That's true Christian stewardship. It's not what I can give out of my surplus. It is what the Lord compels me to give despite my surplus. Stewardship. The Apostle Paul was grateful to the Philippian Christians for supporting him in his missionary journeys. And he says so here in this letter, Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving only you. You were the only church that supported me in all of my missionary journeys. 
For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, and sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Your sacrifice in supporting my ministry was a blessing not only to me, but to God. It was not only a blessing to me, but it was a blessing to God. So, biblical fellowship. Biblical fellowship is about our individual relationship to Jesus Christ. Our personal relationship in Christ to each other. And our relationship to the world. Our relationship to the world. Listen, we do have a relationship to the world. We are not of the world to be worldly, but we are in the world as salt and light to bring the lost to faith in Jesus Christ and to bring the faithful to full spiritual maturity in Jesus Christ. We're not to be cloistered in our own ivory towers. We're not to stay in our offices or in our homes now, we're not to fellowship only with Christian people. We have relationships with people in the world that we might bring them into the kingdom of God. If when you become a Christian, you lose all of your non-Christian friends, who are you going to witness to? Who are you going to share Jesus with? We're not saved to go to heaven, or we would be there already. We're saved to be a witness to others. Biblical fellowship is about being together as a local body of believers who love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and who love each other as we love ourselves. It's about worshiping together. It's about studying the Bible together. It's about encouraging one another, praying with and praying for each other. It's about serving one another in love and in humility. Biblical fellowship is about partnership. It's about teaming up with each other in ministry. Bringing a brother or a sister alongside for training, for ministry, for mentoring, for working, for serving, for helping, so that in helping them, they will learn how to help others by getting involved rather than watching them as they leave and go someplace else. Biblical fellowship is giving our resources to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ in this place, in this church, in this community, in this state, in this nation, and all across the globe. It is ministering to others, Christian or non-Christian, but those who have needs that we can reach out and touch in the name of Jesus Christ. It's about ministering to other churches. It's about ministering in other places where there is no Christian witness in starting new churches, in building up weak churches, dying churches, in encouraging pastors who are struggling and deacons who don't know what to do next or in Christians that have become discouraged and are ready to give up. This church, 
right here. We've been about those things in our history. We've been about fellowship in the biblical sense. And I pray that we will continue to be a church that not only knows and understands, but practices biblical fellowship. And we will continue to be that kind of church as we stay focused on Jesus Christ, as we follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit in whatever he would have us do, investing our time and our energy and our effort and our resources in the ongoing work of the kingdom of Jesus Christ here and everywhere. And the wonderful thing about this is y'all can be a part of it. Every single one of you, young and old, new Christian, seasoned Christian, dying Christian, every one of us can be a part of true biblical fellowship. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.